Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The wait is finally over. It is time. The opponent preview episodes are here. And uh, the... Part one of the same place opponent preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket buying experience. Instead of shopping dozens of sites to find the best deal, let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show and rates them on a scale of 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting your best, getting the best bang for your buck. A green dot marks great deals, a yellow dot good deals, and a red dot... Not so good. Use promo code ACAA as an armchair All-Americans at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. So what are you waiting for? That's promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And uh, part one of the same place opponent preview is also brought to you by MyBookie. Between their live, in-game, betting, endless props, fantasy sports wagers, there is something for everybody to get in on at MyBookie. With the best player perks in the sportsbook business, they've been good to us, and I know that they'll be good to you. The NBA Finals are in full swing now with the Raptors and the Warriors, the, the Bruins and the Blues getting it done in the, in the Stanley Cup Final. Plus, you know we have tons of baseball going on now that we're getting into the heart of the season. And MyBookie is hooking up my listeners all month. Visit MyBookie.ag and use the promo code BEARS100 when creating your account to claim your 50% bonus. Laying down $100, now you've got $150 to play with. That's MyBookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G, promo code BEARS100. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And it took some doing to get this episode done. We had some starts, some stops, some finishes, some technical issues, so on and so forth. I had three different guests, and the third one was the lucky charm. We finally got it done. Same place opponent, episode number one, as our opponent previews finally get underway with the New Orleans Saints and Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get the show started so we can get to our interview. It's my least favorite part of the LFL calendar year, but it is quite frankly my favorite part of doing the podcast, uh, quite frankly, are these opponent preview episodes, um, meeting up with old friends, introducing ourselves to new ones, and getting ourselves prepared as we sit down and try to learn what there is to know uh, about our opponents upcoming in the 2019 season from the people that know them best. 
fellow fans that uh, that love their beloved as much as we love ours. So uh, what's going on, everybody? Larity back. Opponent preview episode number one, part one of the same place opponent previews. Uh, we are going to be starting with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast will be joining us here uh, in just a few moments to get things uh, started, get things underway. Ross was actually the third person uh, that I uh, ended up getting on the line or on the hook for for doing the podcast and previewing the Saints. Um, we have a Saints show here on the Armchair Network. Uh, my uh, my my sister podcast, uh, the um, Saints Happy Hour. Uh, the one of the hosts of that show, Ralph Marble, was scheduled to be the first person I spoke to on Tuesday night. Unfortunately, he had a family emergency, had to back out at the last minute. Uh, for those of you who have been with me a while, uh, you might remember Tyler Raymond uh, from the Who Dat Dish uh, podcast. He was on the show when the Bears played the Saints back in 2017. I actually got uh, Tyler on the line, went through the interview, everything went great, and when I went back to listen to it, turns out that the Skyped up update that I did turned off, like blocked all outside software from recording. So all I had was my side of the conversation. His was not. And um, when when Ralph dropped out, I reached out to both Tyler and Ross to see if they would be available to coming on to be able to come on the show. Both responded. So I was actually going to try to 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 divvy this up in a way to have them both on the show. As far as my as far as editing is concerned, uh, I was a, it's it's a good thing that uh, Tyler's uh, show didn't have to uh, didn't wasn't able to be used, I should say. And, um, you know, <laughs> I don't have to worry about trying to split it up between the, the two guys and don't have to try to figure out how that's going to work. But, um, you know, unfortunately, we weren't able to keep anything that we uh, did with uh, Tyler. But uh, Ross Jackson from the Locked On uh, Saints podcast has definitely hooked us up. Uh, a lot of good stuff when we talk to him. And, you know, these are big games for the Bears this year. Uh, week number seven, we get the Saints at home. It's our first game after the bye. And we all know how the Bears performed coming out of coming off bye weeks uh, last year. You know, we, we get that hot three and one start. We get the bye week after the first four weeks and then come and basically laid a huge egg against the Miami Dolphins uh, week number six. Um, you know, we'll have to see, hopefully. And, and then in uh, week, uh, what, 12, 13, whatever it was, after our mini-buy from the Thanksgiving game, we had 10 days to get ready for the New York Giants and went out there and and our 8-3 and three team that was on a five-game winning streak loses to a 3-8 and eight Giants squad. I mean, that's, uh, you know, not good. The Bears are an 0-2 coming off the break. So hopefully uh, Matt Nagy will be able to correct whatever he uh, – didn't do to prepare the team uh, coming off of those breaks because the coaching tree that he's a part of, Andy Reid, is notorious for being a victor after bye week. So maybe he had to go back to the drawing board and, and get some some tips uh, from Andy Reid on on how to get his team ready to come off of the uh, come off the bye because we got the Saints coming off the bye uh, this year. So that's not a game that you want to sleep on, whether it's at home uh, or not. And that's actually one thing that's different from last year is that uh, both of our little, you know, bye weeks, if you will, last year, we were on the road, first at Miami, then at New York. This year, I don't remember where we are after. No, we're at home both times, actually. We're at home uh, against the Saints after the bye for week six, and then when we play Detroit on the road on Thanksgiving Day, 
after our mini buy there were at home for the Cowboys. So maybe that's what was going on. We didn't we didn't play well on the road and we didn't meet expectations or we didn't play to our opponent's level uh, or, or uh, whatever you want to call it that went wrong with those uh, games. But nonetheless, it's a big game. Week number seven, the team should be pretty well established as to their identity uh, in the 2019 season by the, by the time they meet each other uh, there. So it'll be very interesting to see how that one all uh, turns out. So, But the Saints are going to be an interesting team this year. They play in that schizophrenic division that is the NFC South where, where teams are, are in the playoffs this year. They're out of the playoffs that year. Like in 2017, they had three playoff teams. They had the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers all made it to the playoffs in 2018. The Saints was the only team above 500 that got even to sniff uh, the playoffs. Everybody else below 500, uh, or, or you know, or well, actually, you don't get worse than below 500. But there you go, and um, you know, so we'll see. Bruce Arians, the new head coach out there in in Tampa Bay. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Uh, if, the, if, the, the, if the Panthers are following the pattern, they, were, they went to the Super Bowl in 2015, a dud in 2016 playoffs in 2017 a dud in 2018 if pattern holds they should be good this year so we'll see the falcons i i chalk up last season you know to to the super bowl loser curse uh they suffered a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the ball and you know that that curse is real man it happens year in and year out you lose super bowl you tend not to be able to find your way back to the postseason the year after there are some exceptions to the rule but it doesn't happen often so we'll see how that, uh, that whole division turns out. Will the Saints be able to hold everyone off again uh, this year and represent the NFC South in the playoffs? Or will they be, uh, you know, down looking up at, at whoever reigns supreme uh, in the South division this year? Uh, before we get to our guest, uh, you know, Ross Jackson, uh, we have some news and notes. And uh, real quick, I put a post out on the, uh, on the interwebs uh, on Twitter and on Facebook, asking you guys for ideas uh, for these shows, basically, um, because this is that time of year. Yes, OTAs have been going on uh, the last couple of weeks, but there's not a lot of news coming out of OTAs. Um, we have some today, thank God, but as we move through these episodes, we have 14 of them. This is number one of 14. We have our same place opponents next week. We'll start with the AFC West, then we'll have the NFC East, and then finish off with the NFC North and our beloved Chicago Bears. And when we get to the Bears episode, we should be around early to mid-July. Like, so we should be about a week or two out from training camp when that episode takes place. There's not a lot going on in that time period. So 
there won't be much of anything for news and notes for me to do. And I don't really like to just dive right into the interviews. Maybe I want to do a little something. And I talked to you guys previously about doing like off the subject, like something not related to football or not related to the Bears. And um, I put that out there on Facebook. I've already got some interesting uh, ideas. Um, so we'll we'll uh, we'll be starting to sprinkle those in. But if you have any thoughts, any ideas of your own off the subject ideas, uh, you know, anything but bears or football, just to do a little something fun, add a little color to the show, if you will. So any ideas that you have there at BTU underscore Larry on Twitter and uh, um, just search Bears Talk Underground on Facebook and toss in uh, your ideas. So. Uh, we do have some news and notes today. Some interesting news, actually. Uh, Trey Burton, it turns out, had surgery. Uh, we th- we thought that Anthony Miller's shoulder repair was the only surgery that the uh, the Bears were going to have on any of their players uh, this year. It turns out Trey Burton that um, that that groin injury that was bothering him or that kept him out of the Philadelphia game, the wild card game, uh, was something that they went ahead and had taken care of surgically. Uh, sports hernia surgery he's been sitting out of uh, OTAs but he should be ready to go by training camp according to uh, Matt Nagy I watched one of his press conferences uh, after OTA practice uh, this week so doesn't sound like the Bears are alarmed or concerned it very well could be one of the reasons why um, Bradley Soule is a tight end now to add some depth to that room with uh, with Trey Burton likely out for the rest of the offseason but like I said, he should be ready to go for training camp, so we'll see what happens uh, there. Uh, speaking of offensive linemen, uh, the Bears went ahead and added another offensive lineman to the roster. Offensive tackle uh, T.J. Clemens, a former Vikings draft pick. I believe he was a fourth-rounder out of Pittsburgh. Started 30 games for them his first couple of seasons uh, in the league. Did not work out in Minnesota. He spent the season with Oakland uh, last year, and the Bears just signed him today and uh, added him to the 90-man roster. If it works out, he's got experience. He knows how to play the game. And, uh, you know, he was a talented talented tackle, a talented offensive lineman in college. If it works out and the new scenery is just what the doctor called for, then, uh, you know, he could be a good depth piece uh, for us or at the very least could challenge Rashad Coward for that swing tackle position or maybe they uh, move him to the inside. The Vikings move their guys around a lot because they suffered a lot of injuries on the offensive line. So I do believe that TJ Clemens has clocked in some time at guard. So can't hurt to add more depth to the interior uh, line. So if things work out, that could be a good signing uh, for us. And um, the rest of it is just kind of fun stuff. Uh, Apparently the, uh, the bears uh, group of the bears uh, went to the white Sox game today, but they had a little pregame fun at top golf in the Chicagoland area. And Kyle long posted on Twitter, a video of James Daniels and um, uh, his golf swing or what he was calling uh, a golf swing. It's only about a four-second video of James Daniels uh, swinging at the golf club and missing it horribly. Like he dug up more of the AstroTurf around the ball than he did uh, the hitting the actual ball uh, itself. Uh, so that was interesting. And at the White Sox game, a fan uh, posted online a, a video of um the bears uh the various bears that went to the game it was the offensive line and mitch essentially that um were in the you know the suite or whatever where where the guests of the team or the white Sox were at and uh mitch uh, trubisky 
showed Aaron Rodgers a thing or two about how to chug a beer. Uh, for those of you who don't know the context of that story, I believe it was last week. Um, Bakhtiari, David Bakhtiari, the offensive tackle for the um, Packers, was at the Milwaukee Bucks Toronto Raptors game uh, last week, and when the camera got on him, slammed down two beers. I mean, like just like just opened up his gullet, and they went down the hatch. Then he points across the court to Aaron Rodgers, who picks up his beer and kind of slowly sips it down. He didn't chug it down like. Bakhtiari was basically just pouring it down this huge hole in his neck, and and uh, uh, Rodgers was actually trying to drink it. So that didn't go well for Aaron Rodgers. I saw a video of Matt Stafford showing Rodgers how it's done, and now Mitch Trubisky, of all people, slamming down a beer, chugging it down like a man out there, even though I, I, I don't drink beer. It tastes like piss as far as I'm concerned. But chugging it down like a man, showing A.A. Uh, uh, Ron how it gets done. And uh, so there you go. There's something else that Mitch is better at than uh, than Aaron Rodgers is. Hopefully that will translate onto the field week one when uh, Mitch shows uh, Ron who the top quarterback in the NFC North is now. And then finally, uh, probably the coolest thing that happened this week, Nike released a commercial that featured three players, uh, the first of which being Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, in his new Cleveland Brown uniform. We got Saquon Barkley doing like a little Spider-Man routine around New York City. And then finally, we, we fade into the uh, Bears locker room, which had actual Bears in it. And then one of those Bears morphs into Khalil Mack, who is in his Bear uniform and runs headlong into a wall that, of course, breaks into a million pieces as he pours through it. Now, sounds simple enough. Go ahead and watch it and tell me that you weren't completely jacked after you saw that. You're ready for football to get started. So very cool commercial. Very cool to see one of our own in that and essentially he was the main event of the commercial so how long how awesome was that so that's going to do it for the news and notes i'm going to go ahead and step aside and let's get this thing kicked off our opponent previews first number one out of 14 starting with our same place opponents and the defending nfc south champion new orleans saints with my new friend ross jackson from the locked on saints podcast Kicking off our opponent preview series for the 2019 season, we start with our same place opponents. And for the first time in a long time, our beloved Chicago Bears did not finish in last place. So we're talking with first place teams uh, this year. And to help us kick off the uh, the whole shebang here uh, with the New Orleans Saints from the Locked on Saints podcast, Ross Jackson. Ross, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. Really looking forward to doing this with you, man. Very excited to be here. And, and and Ross apparently is a is a globetrotter. Can't pin the man down into one place. <laughs> He's out and about in Los Angeles right now. So that's what the uh, the background noise is for anyone who wonders what's going on there. But uh, so Ross, you're new to the show. You're one of our new friends now. And the, the same questions I ask everybody when they come on the show is a. Well, we already know where you are. You're in Los Angeles. Where are yeah, you from? I give you a little bit more detail, though. Right. I give you a little more detail about right. why I'm out here. <laughs> okay, but where? I, well, that's the thing. And the reason that I ask is that when I started having guests on the show to represent the various opponents that the Bears have played since 2015 when I started this, <clears throat> you are the rule, not the exception, as far as you living someplace outside of the market your team actually belongs to. So 
You're right. the rule, not the exception. It's an oddity to actually talk to somebody that's in the market of the team that they, you know, quote unquote represent. So, right, right. So we know you're in LA, but where are you from originally? And do you have a favorite Saints moment that you'd like to share with us? Oh man, that's great. Yeah, so uh, I'm out here in Los Angeles right now. I actually live in between, so I bounce back and forth. I'm originally from New Orleans, so okay. that's where I. That's the other like place and everything. So uh, I'm born and raised. Uh, in New Orleans, Big Easy, all that good stuff. I'm out here in L.A. right now because I was down at – I work uh, with live events as, like, part of the the other job. Okay. And so I was actually at Disneyland in Anaheim uh, floor managing the big media grand opening for the new Star for Wars. For the Star world. Wars. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm out here right now. And I love sharing it because I, I know, like, a lot of people are excited about it and everything like that. And I just want to confirm – for everybody that I talk to, it is as dope as you expect it to be. That's all I'm going to say. Very uh, nice. Very nice. And, and probably my favorite Saints moment, man. I know it's a little bit cliche, but, you know, this franchise has only gotten, you know, been to the Super Bowl once, won the Super Bowl. And the big game-changing play there, of course, was Tracy Tracy Porter's pick six. And I love everything about it from pre-snap when Jonathan Vilma made the adjustments that got Tracy Porter in position to jump the route. And then, of course, all the way through, you know, the, the pick pointing to the end zone celebrating in miami party with the lombardi all that good stuff man i I gotta i gotta give it to that between that and uh garrett hartley's various uh uh successful field goals to get them in and through the super bowl as well okay i you know that's i I don't actually consider that to be the low-hanging fruit i would more think the low-hanging fruit in saints moments would be the uh the block punt in the first game in the the dome after uh after katrina so yeah uh, yeah and don't get me wrong that reignited the entire fan base and it was a beautiful moment an incredible moment for the franchise and for the city but really the culmination of you know that started that process Hmm. over the next three years that you know all culminated in that super bowl win yeah because that was year one of peyton year one of drew Brees in new orleans and and everything so it really was the the start of it all yeah absolutely so i I think uh you know when you look at that that pick six man that just caps off those sort of three years of build-up all of a sudden going from pretender to contender so quickly you know getting guys like the you know reggie bush of course being drafted in 2006 as well who was going to be the savior up until drew Brees was signed so Mm -hmm. you know it was huge it was huge yeah yeah i remember that being a very odd off season uh pretty much all around because the Bears in 05 had their first successful season in a long time, but we really needed some help, and we spent all of our money on defense. We spent all but one draft pick on defensive picks. Like, we had the number one defense last year. Why are we doubling down on defense when we need offensive weapons? But what the hell do I know? We made the Super Bowl in 2006. So, you know, but the same thing with, with the Saints having the number two pick going into that draft. Everyone's thinking, okay. Leinert's going to be the pick Mm -hmm. you know he's going to be the pick then you sign Breeze which opens the door to okay well then it's definitely going to be um, Mario Williams because Reggie Bush is going number one and then like two nights before the draft oh wait Mario Williams has already signed a deal with the Texans so now now the Saints are going to have to take Reggie Bush and Sean Payton is drooling over his Reggie Bush Deuce McAllister backfield that he can (laughs) uh, work with now so yeah it's uh that was a very odd off season, and, and culminated with us meeting in that NFC title game uh, mm-hmm. that led the Bears to the Super Bowl with an unfortunate ending there. But three years later, you guys managed to go to the same place in Miami against the same team, oddly that's enough, right. the Colts. Yeah, but you guys true. came out on top, and Tracy Porter, I remember uh, that moment. And, of course, Tracy um, Porter had a very small career renaissance in Chicago. 
um, true. before yep. uh, before finally calling it uh, quits. So, so we've talked about what you know favorite Saints moments. How about we talk about probably what your least favorite Saints moment would be? Uh, thanks to recent uh, events, uh, I, I seem to remember something possibly <laughs> happening in the <laughs> NFC Championship game that Saints fans are, are, are a little bit peeved about. Would you, would you like to explain that to us? I mean, for those of us who have been living under a rock for the last six months. Uh, I, I simply have no idea what you're referring to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, man, yeah, of course. Uh, so, you know, uh, NFC Championship game against the Los Angeles Rams, one game away from the Super Bowl. Saints are in good position to close out the game, yeah. to pick up a first down, run the clock down a little bit, kick a field goal, potentially put yourself in the position to win that game. And, of course, any number of things could have happened. The Rams could have blocked said field goal, yada, yada. You can look at all of it. But, um, you know, they were in at least a higher percentage chance of being able to walk away with a win in that game. And then, you know, you get the uh, the swing pass out to uh, was the target was Tommy Lee Lewis. They kind of Roby Coleman comes in, makes majorly early contact to which he owned up to at the end of the game saying, yeah, yeah I was beat. So I was trying to try to make a play so that I didn't get, you know, if I didn't if I didn't get to him, that was a touchdown. And that's just, you know, somebody playing smart took a chance. And I guess it worked out because Bill Vinovich and the rest of his crew just kind of stood around and looked at one another like, uh, you know, who's coming over for dinner tonight? And yeah. then just completely missed everything going on. Um, you know, and there, there, you know, there's there's the whole whole shebang that came out around it and everything. Of course, no penalty called. There it was a clear pass interference penalty. Right. Um, you know, Saints go on. They kick the field goal. Then they couldn't. The defense couldn't make the stop. The game gets tied up on a long field goal by Greg the leg. And then uh, to overtime, Saints get the opportunity to, uh, you know, they get the ball first. All they got to do is score a touchdown. All, quote unquote, they got to do is score a touchdown. Uh, doesn't work out. Drew Brees gets pressured, throws the ball up. John Johnson with the interception. And then defense can't hold again. And then long field goal. And the Rams head to the Super Bowl to, you know, put up a whopping three points. Um, yeah. And, and you know, participate in one of the boring, most boring Super Bowls <laughs> yeah. we've ever seen. Uh, and you know, it's just not really the way that you wanted to see the year end, especially with the way that the year ended the year before oh, God. Uh, in yeah. the divisional round yet yeah, with the Minneapolis miracle. miracle. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, not, not really the way you want to go about that, but you know, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's just one of those things, man. It's tough, but you know, you had a uh, 2012, the suspension year with uh bounty gate. Right. 2013, not a great year. Uh, then they, you know, they, well, a great year by the team, but then they get uh, they get bounced in the playoffs. Then you got 2014, 15, and 16, all back to back seven and nine years with historically terrible defenses. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you get this competitive team. 2017 wiped out by a miracle. 2018 wiped out by a no call. So uh, yeah, it led to a lot of frustration. It was kind of a tipping point for a lot of the Houdat Nation, especially because this was something that was completely out of everyone's control. Yeah. And you know, you can go either way with that, right? You can either say it's better that it's out of their control because they're focused on fixing what they can control, and you can sort of, you know, put up some blinders towards what you can't and focus on what you can. Uh, a little bit of the Zion Williamson mentality, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, but it just it was one of those things that sort of like brought everybody to a head across the fan base. You saw, you know, the Super Bowl, um, you saw Super Bowl boycotts, the Super Bowl boycotts in um, in New Orleans. You saw, uh, you know, Mardi Gras was a big, you know, Mardi Gras built on you know, built on satire, yeah. built on parody. And so there was a lot of uh, representation of the no call there. You saw um cam jordan showing up to the pro bowl wearing a shirt that says blow show blow uh blow whistles not games <laughs> uh so you know it's a lot you know people are people are um 
were very vocal about it within the organization. You know, new owner Gail Benson after the passing of her late husband, Tom Benson, who's been, you know, essentially the patriarch of the New Orleans Saints for quite some time. And, uh, you know, so she was very vocal about it. And she's really done an amazing job as the new owner, both of the New Orleans Saints and of the New Orleans Pelicans. And so uh, done a great job with them. And so you saw her become more vocal about it. You saw the players become vocal about it. Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas always takes to Twitter, but Michael Thomas taking to Twitter to tweet out the rule and the rule book that says that, you know, you can replay a game and all this other stuff. And really just, you know, just uh, just yesterday on the 30th, uh, some more fans took this whole thing to court about trying to get a reversal of the game. So, like, people are still mad. People are still upset yeah. about it. But the franchise itself, the organization and the players, they're moving forward. Uh, most of us are moving forward um, because it's really the only option that you have. You know, I mean, you got two Super Bowl, two two teams that you felt like were Super Bowl rosters, back-to-back yeah. seasons that got bounced by a pair of miracles, essentially, or a miracle on a no-call. You got to imagine 2019, they've done some things in the offseason to really help improve certain parts of the offense, improve certain parts of the defense. And then, you know, you got to hope that that Super Bowl roster maintains in 2019. And you got to sit there and say, you know what, this can only happen so much. (laughs) Yeah. You got to figure that the bad luck is going to run out uh, Mm -hmm. eventually or try to figure out who on the roster, you know, let a black cat walk in front of them or who, Mm -hmm. who opened an umbrella indoors or something like that. That's kind of curse the the franchise because the Minneapolis miracle was one thing. I mean, talk about a freak moment and the way that all went down and Stephon Diggs manages to stay in bounds and, um, yeah. you know, that, that rookie safety whose name I'm forgetting at the moment. He, uh, Marcus Williams. Yeah, there yeah. you go. He, that, I, can anybody, has anybody ever asked him what he was doing on that particular? Because it looked like he was trying to avoid Diggs or, like, th- did anybody ever ask him what it was he was trying to do on that play? Because yeah, I never found out. It's kind of ironic in hindsight when you take into account what happened with the Saints in 2018. But his thing was, I was trying to avoid making contact too early. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so, you know, he was trying to make the smart play, quote unquote, and then ended up, you know, coming in a little bit more ginger than you'd like to see yeah. uh, and ended up missing the tackle and whiffing on it, just trying not to make contact too early. And, and took out know, his teammate was, at the same time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think it was Ken Crawley that was trailing back there with him. And so when you look at that uh, and then you look at 2018 and the way that everything went down for Nicole Roby Coleman, you kind of go, hell, you should have just hit him. Yeah. <laughs> you should have took him out early. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's that's crazy. And then, of course, like you know, like you said, the the no call. And I, you know, I I had a lot of feelings about that. I mean, in the moment, I was a Saints fan because I actually wanted to see the Saints play the Patriots. I thought they were the better mm-hmm. matchup. And it turns out I was probably right about that. But considering how the Rams ended up playing, um, but you know, it's it, you know, the immediate fallout was I, I can't believe they didn't call that. The Saints did get screwed. But we have overtime, so we'll see what happens. You know, that kind of thing. It didn't work out. The Rams end up going. I'm not happy about it. And more so because of how the Bears' season ended. Right. With with the block field goal, if we make that field goal, um, we go to the Rams, and there's no way. I, I, no. I don't see the Rams beating the Bears. I don't. No. So it's I like, here either. I am watching the Rams skate by. Like, they lucked out in not having to play us in the divisional round and smoke the – Cowboys then they come into this NFC championship game and give them credit where credit's due they were behind and they came back and made it a game yep yeah they came back but they they get this miracle of a no call that opens the door for them to be able to win now they're in the Super Bowl and they lay one of the biggest eggs ever scoring three points by one of the most prolific offenses to ever play in a uh-huh. Super Bowl so it's like it was all very bitter for me to see it happen the way it did but 
I kind of got exhausted, probably obviously not as quickly as most Saint fans did, but kind of got exhausted in the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl with lawsuits and replay the game and, and all that kind of stuff. And, I, and I, I, I get it. I completely get it. You guys got screwed. It sucks, and there's nothing that's going to fix that other than either the miracle of them reversing it or 2019 finally coming around so you can fix it. So, right, you know, right. it's like I, there, I feel a lot of different ways about it. Yeah, and I think one of the things that made this thing really swell to the to really to the just almost unbearable place that it got to is because you know administration in terms of the organization of the NFL was silent. For yes. two weeks, yeah, never were. addressing anything, never really talking about it. They, you know, they called Sean Payton after the game and said, "That's on us. We missed that call." But we heard that from Sean Payton, and that was it. Yeah. Nothing from Goodell until, uh, gosh, I think it was around Pro Bowl time when we finally <laughs> heard something from him. And so I think that that was a big part of it too, because you know, I mean, something like that happens, and then you come forward and you say, "Look, we can't replay the game. There are there because there are stipulations that." don't allow for you to do that and the only circumstance in which it's okay is if you can find foul play right so if you can say yes bill vinovich didn't make that call and his crew didn't make that call because you know they put money on the on the la rams or whatever you know like you have to have something that blatantly um that shows uh forgive me for using what is right now a hot button word in the political uh political sphere but you have to find some type of obstruction you know what i mean um, there's, but there was nothing like that. And had they just come out and said that at the very beginning, it said, look, there's no chance that any of this stuff is happening. Uh, there's no proof that there was any kind of tampering or anything like that. Uh, so there's nothing that we can do. Yes, we missed the call. The officials missed the call. We'll handle that and we'll handle that officiating crew. But as far as us moving forward, we'll see the Rams and the Patriots in the Super Bowl in two weeks, period, right. done. If they would have just done that, I don't think that things would have gotten would have swelled as much as they did. Not to put the fault on anybody else, but I just wonder how much different the situation would have been had there been some acknowledgement and a little bit of uh, accountability right after the fact. I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, and you bring up an excellent point with that, that how silent the commissioner and the, the league in general were. I mean, we didn't really mm-hmm. need to hear from the commissioner, but to hear from the NFL in general, like some kind of a statement along the lines of what you said, probably could have quieted a bit a down a bit in in the chaos right. between the the title game and the and the Super Bowl that that maybe would have eased the tension uh, a bit. But you're right, they didn't say anything. Um, yeah, it was just you know, all quiet on the home front. It man. was, it really was. So, yeah, what a bummer. And then the Super Bowl being what it was, and uh, you know, it's like I can't. I have mixed feelings about the Super Bowl as well. Number one, I have the bitterness of thinking that I thought the Bears would have had a shot at it. I thought mm-hmm. that Bears Saints NFC title game was the floor for the Bears, not the ceiling. I really thought right. that was the worst we could do, and then the Philly game happened, so I had some right. feelings about that. And then, so it's like, I, I had a, 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 you know, like I said, very bittersweet because I know that Belichick modeled what he did, and even though he's a brilliant coach and didn't need our help, but he modeled what he did to the Rams based on what the Bears did to the Rams on Sunday yes, night football. Yes, early this season. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, yep. mean, I know that, that he took what they did and – used his own personnel to do something very similar and shut them down so there's the sweet part but the bitter is it wasn't us doing it you know kind of right thing. So, right right but uh we we move into the into the off season and one of the things that's um you know i, I guess a negative aspect of success is that other people around this copycat league want a piece of it so they go mm-hmm. in they try to take some pieces uh from yours they didn't get scalped quite as much as say the rams did 
uh, you know, anyone right. that's even um, remotely associated with Sean McVay has a head coaching job uh, <laughs> now. So, I mean, the, the coaching staff got picked apart. But you did lose some, some key guys. Uh, Alex Okafor heads to, to Kansas mm-hmm. City. Uh, Mark Ingram, who had a slight flirtation with the Bears, ends up with the, the Ravens. Uh, ben mm-hmm. Watson retires, then unretires, then signs with the Saints. And, or excuse me, with the Patriots. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Tommy Lee Lewis, I don't know if he just wanted to get the hell out of New Orleans <laughs> or what the situation was there, but he's in the NFC North and he'll be facing my Bears twice a year playing for the uh, Detroit Lions. So right. which one of those guys or, you know, can you tell me what you're going to miss about the, the guys that we've talked about? Well, uh, I'll tell you what, Tommy Lee Lewis, first of all, everyone's going to miss the jokes. Everyone's going to miss the memes. Uh, I think that's going to be the biggest part of Tommy Lee Lewis being <laughs> gone. Uh, I certainly won't miss his six point. I think it's six six point seven yards per per kick return. Uh, oh, <laughs> certainly wow. won't be missing that, okay. or per punt yeah. return rather. Um, definitely won't be missing that. Uh, Saints really putting a lot of emphasis in the return game and perfecting, or really starting to improve uh, the return game and special teams. So that's actually something that is kind of a plus uh, with Tommy Lee Lewis being there because he gave you. He was kind of one of those guys that was a train, training camp darling every year, but then once it got into you know out, out of the exhibition season, all of a sudden he was you know just he was just Tommy Lee Lewis. He wasn't the, the big returner that they expected out of them. So that's something that actually comes positive from his loss. But some of the big things, um, you know, when you look at Mark Ingram, of course you. You, you got to talk about the, the the camaraderie between Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, the culture of the team, which has become more of a, a popular thing within the last, I'd say, probably about five years of the NFL is fans really paying attention to team culture. Yeah. And when you have a team like the New Orleans Saints that and the Chicago Bears as well, Chicago Bears are also oh, yeah. an excellent example For of sure. team culture, um, you know, has like club dub, everything like that. Right. So you have um, you, you have this big emphasis on culture in the NFL now and. Mark Ingram was such a staple of that for uh, for the New Orleans Saints. And so losing out on him, I'm not I'm not really all that concerned about the loss of on field production, because, again, he was out for, you know, a third of last season or rather a quarter of last season, uh, missing four games early with the uh, PED suspension. And during that time, Alvin Kamara really got the load of that work and then put up excellent numbers over those first four games and just looked like the guy that. You know, it looked like the next step from 2017, his rookie of the year season. And he really continued that throughout the rest of 2018, even after Mark Ingram returned. And so you don't really miss the on-field production and especially signing somebody that has around the same skill set, just better size and better speed in Latavius Murray. Yeah. He's a pretty good replacement. But the culture conversation and the community conversation is a big part of what you miss uh, with Mark Ingram. You can actually kind of say a little bit of the same thing for Alex Okafor. Alex Okafor was you know, a veteran leader presence on that defensive line alongside Cameron Jordan, especially with a young guy like Marcus Davenport coming in and a pair of other young guys on the interior and Sheldon Rankins, who of course is going to miss the beginning portion, probably the first half of next season when he took, because of the Achilles tear that he suffered in the divisional game against the Eagles. And then you have David Onyemata, who was drafted the same year as him. So you've got some young guys over there on the defensive line. And Alex Okafor was a rotational good veteran presence that was there for them. And so you miss that, you miss that leader and you miss his production. I mean, as a rotational guy coming in and getting four, at least four sacks in the last pair of seasons where he was playing with the Saints, that's not blowing the, you know, blowing anybody out of the water, but also he wasn't a starter. You know what I'm saying? Right. He was coming in and he was playing a relief rotational role uh, with some, you know, developing guys like Trey Hendrickson and like Marcus Davenport. And so you miss him a little bit because of that rotational 
effectiveness and also his positional versatility. He was a really great guy to throw into defensive interior and NASCAR packages and things like that. Or you put him out on the outside and have Cameron Jordan take that sort of in defensive interior NASCAR package type of role. And so, you know, you miss you're going to miss that versatility. So it's not just about sacks. It's not just about tackles, even though he was really, really good against the run, much like Marcus Davenport. It's a little bit of the, the sort of the wrinkles that you can create with the personnel because of the freedom and the versatility that Alex Okafor brought to that defensive line. So you're going to miss those things. Uh, Benjamin Watson retiring, coming out of retirement, going to the Patriots. Glad to see him go back to the Patriots, where it all began for him. you got to love that. But yeah. another cultural guy, you know, another cultural leader guy that's coming through and that, that you know, is going to be missed this season. And so um, he's one of those guys that he didn't, he didn't produce an entirely too much last season. Um, he was a nice option in rotation with Dan Arnold and Josh Hill, but that's really the most of what he was. He's an outstanding blocker for a tight end as well, which the Saints have become to emphasize a little bit more since Jimmy Graham was traded away in 2015. And so really you kind of miss the culture with him. You miss his uh, flexibility and what he can do for you, running seam routes, running wheel routes, and also being a part of that inline blocker as a tight end as well. So those are some of the big things that you miss, but you've got a great replacement in Jared Cook. And so there's a lot of reasons to be excited, even despite those losses with the additions that the Saints have made over the offseason. Lots of reasons to be excited about what this team has in store right so we we replaced jared cook with uh or excuse me we replaced ben watson with jared cook that's probably mm-hmm. an upgrade across the board uh um, right. younger guy more athletic you know going to be more part of the offense than ben watson was mm-hmm. latavius murray a bigger faster version of of, of ingram but w- what i also see in, in the big uh, signings that you had is that there was a lot of focus on the middle of the line on both sides. Mm. So you got yes. Nick Easton, the center, uh, um, Marshall Newhouse, and uh, Ryan Groy, uh, you know, in- interior mm-hmm. offensive lineman. You drafted Eric McCoy in the second round uh, of the draft, the center out of Texas A&M. And on the defensive side, uh, Malcolm Brown and Mario Edwards, defensive mm-hmm. tackles in that 4-3 that the, that the Saints play. So was this something that was really plaguing the Saints, that interior offensive line uh, last year? Oh, interior offensive line for sure. You saw it start week 13 against the against the uh, the Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big, big sort of that's kind of the exposure, right? You were talking about the blueprint that was created by the Bears for the Patriots to use against the Rams. Right. Dallas essentially is credited with creating the blueprint that caused the Saints a lot of trouble toward the end of their season. Now, of course, week 13 they lost and they didn't lose again until week 17. And that came after a 10 10 win 10 game win streak after losing the opening game uh so you know they didn't they didn't really put too much out there for to create a lot of concern however it was enough to you know uh, look at it and say okay <laughs> we got to address that because the injuries sure. on the offensive line created a bit of a ripple effect uh you look at basically Teron Armstead gets injured. The only other guy that you really trust at left tackle is Andrus Pete, who plays left guard. You move him out to left guard. Jermon Bushrod was already injured and out, uh, and so they ended up having to sort of plug in these reserves. You saw some Derek Newton. You saw some uh, some Will Clapp, uh, seventh-round rookie out of 2000 and, 2017 draft, or 2018 draft, rather. Um, and so you know that created a lot of trouble for Drew Brees toward the end of the season uh, and, and really kind of through the playoffs. And so that kind of plagued them a little bit. And from the very beginning, Sean Payton was not at all um, coy about the decision to really work on the offensive line, particularly the interior, because one of the things that he said, starting from starting from the combine on, 
talking about how they need to improve and shore up that interior offensive line. And so you saw them do that, trading up from 62, yeah, 62 up to uh, up to 48 to snatch uh, Eric McCoy, who played 1,441 pass snaps, pass blocking snaps in college at Texas A&M and only allowed one sack in his entire career there. So you look at that, you look at his speed as well. I think he was the fastest guy in the draft under, I mean, sorry, over 300 pounds outside of Chris Lindstrom, if okay. I remember correctly, or outside of what he was the second fastest. Um, and so, you know, you look at that type of versatility and you look at the versatility of the running backs, you know, uh, Alvin Kamara, somebody that can play as a receiver, but then also affect the game as a running back inside and outside. You need versatile mobile offensive linemen to sort of become those lead blockers on pulls on outside zone runs and things like that. So you look for that kind of quality in players and they found that in Eric McCoy. Um, same thing going on with the defensive interior. Big emphasis there. You have Sheldon Rankins, who I mentioned earlier, is going to be missing at least half the season without Achilles tear. So Malcolm Brown is an excellent selection for them in terms of the nose tackle role. Mario Edwards is a great selection for them in terms of the three tech nose tackle. For, uh, sort of the, you know, I was talking about Alex Okafor's versatility. You kind of see that in uh, Mario Edwards, too, who's played all along the, uh, the defensive line. And so you see them trying to shore that up, too, because we don't know what's going to go on with David Onyemata, who had an offseason marijuana possession charge, and if that's going to result in a suspension so far no one in the organization has been notified by the league that that will be as such but you got to prepare for that too so you see them signing another guy like sylvester williams who played nose tackle for the uh, denver broncos 2015 won a super bowl with them you saw them sign kenny bigelow out of uh, west virginia uh, undrafted free agent so you see them really trying a lot of guys shy tuttle as well you see them really bringing in a lot of defensive interior guys to try to shore that up as well i love that you mentioned ryan groy because he's somebody that i'm actually really really intrigued by because he's played every single position along the offensive line yeah. since being brought in by is it is that right he came in with the bears he was an undrafted free agent for the bears yes yeah yeah 2014 or something like that something and, like that yeah and since then he's played every single offensive line position so you love that versatility and that's something that the saints value a lot they look at that in every position not just offensive and defensive line but you look at all of the other position guys and all the skill position guys that also serve well on special teams along various roles gunners jammers returners so on and so forth and so they really value that uh that that positional versatility or i guess they call it uh functional versatility and draft speed right so we talked about Eric McCoy, and, and frankly, man, as a former offensive lineman myself, you got to be a heck of an athlete to be a center and be able to pull at the same time. Mm -hmm. It is not an easy thing to do to snap the ball from under center and then get out in front uh, of the running back, especially at the, and, at the NFL level, uh, especially you know with him in the SEC with the athletes that they have playing uh, down there. And, and the speed that you mentioned says a lot about what he brings to the table uh, for the Saints if he ends up being the starter. Uh, for you guys is that is that what right. he, he's in line for or is that is Easton going to be the center or is he coming in to be an interior guy at one of the guard spots I would say that all intents and purposes are to try to get Eric McCoy studied up as quickly as possible of course I mean everybody by now has seen the Saints offensive play calls and how they call two plays in every you know they call their their primary play and a kill play in the huddle and those are you know somewhere between seven to ten words a piece uh, right. in those plays so it's a big big playbook to learn it's a lot to learn so they're working on getting his communication up he's been taking mostly second team reps in OTAs so far though yesterday and the day that was open to media we did see him take some first team snaps but mostly it's been Nick Easton and actually undrafted free agent Cameron Tom from a couple of years back he came in 2016 if I remember correctly out of southern Mississippi and so he's somebody that's also been getting some first team reps while Nick Easton has been playing at right guard because Larry Warford starting right guard for the Saints has been dealing with an undisclosed 
rehabilitating an undisclosed injury, which Sean Payton talking about undisclosed injury. What's the phrase? Name a more iconic duo. Like, that's just the thing for him. So we'll see what it is that actually happens with that. But there are actually three people right now that are rotating at that starting center position. And I think they feel good about everybody that they've got. But I think all intents and purposes are to get Eric McCoy studded up as quickly as possible. I could see him being a week one starter, if not certainly by some time within the season, I could see him moving into the starting position, especially with the... It's unfortunate you have a lot of talent on that offensive line over on the left side with Teron Armstead and with Andrews Pete. But unfortunately, the culture has sort of become a when as opposed to if they're going to get injured type question. And so once that starts to happen, then we'll see what happens to move everybody around. But thankfully, they've got a lot of uh, versatility going on. The the signing of Marshall Newhouse is big because they don't really have a swing tackle, but he could be somebody that could contend for that. Saints usually look at that sixth and seventh offensive lineman, almost like starters, because you have the interior swing and you have the tackle swing or the swing tackle, rather. And uh, those guys see a lot of playing time. So, so you know, they're, they're making the moves that they need to make to get a look at some guys in OTAs right now, filling up that 90-man roster and, you know, trying to see what's going to happen before they need to cut it down by the end of the preseason. Well, you know, and that's the one, one of the things about a team that has been successful on the level that the Saints have been a team like the Bears that has a very solidified roster, the Rams uh, as well, is that your, 20, your starting 22 are pretty much mm-hmm. set. So the offseason is more about either tweaking something, adding depth, and adding insurance. And, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, something happens to one of your right. starters. So, I mean, it's, it's a very different focus that teams like the Saints, the Rams, and the Bears had this year as opposed to a few years ago when they were struggling and they were trying to find starters and main contributors. And now it's, it's more about finding those guys that can, that can step up if needed because we've got our 22 starters. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. I've mentioned on Twitter a couple of times that it's exciting to be a Saints, you know, to be somebody covering the Saints and also a Saints fan born and raised uh, as somebody that struggled through the 2013, 14 and 15 seasons. I'm sorry, uh, 14, 15 and 16 seasons with those historically bad defenses. And the big concern right now is who's going to be the rotational defensive end with Marcus Davenport. That is a wonderful place to be as as a fan, as somebody as a part of the Huda Nation and somebody that covers the team. That's an incredible position to be in. Absolutely, and, and and very much the Bears are in the same spot uh, mm-hmm. right now. You know who is going to be our nickel corner? Who is going to be? Mm-hmm. You know who's going to step up in in this spot or that one? Or who's our who's our swing interior offensive lineman going to right. be since since they both got signed away in in free agency? Who's that going to be? And 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 whatnot as opposed to we don't have a pass rush. We don't have right. a quarterback. We don't have a running back. You know, having to fill some gigantic holes and taking a shot with somebody. You already know the answer to that question. Now it's a matter of finding somebody else who can, you know, maybe contribute if he needs to, but mostly is going to be that guy that helps you out on special teams more than anything. Exactly right. So the rest of your draft, very much like the Bears, you only had five draft picks uh, Mm -hmm. this year. Uh, The Saints seem to be allergic to draft picks because they just keep giving them away. (laughs) You're already minus your 2020 second rounder to move up to get McCoy and then was it was it didn't you package some picks to move up to get uh Chauncey Gardner Johnson as well yeah actually uh in that trade for uh for Eric McCoy they also recouped a 116 overall and then they used that as well as one of their fourth uh, one of their fifth round picks to move up earlier in the fourth round so not too terrible uh Saints sure. still have maintained most of their picks for 2020 they traded away a seventh earlier uh in that Teddy Bridgewater trade near the beginning of the season and so right now they have a one three four five and six 
for 2020. But it's funny, like I talk to people about it a lot and I mention and, and the, the analogy that I use or really, I guess the, the yeah, I guess the analogy that I use is that, uh, you know, it's it's like when you grow up and you do something a very particular way in your home and you just think that that's the way that everybody does it. And then you right. go over to a friend's house and they do it differently. And you're like, why do you do it like that for <laughs> Saints fans? trading away future picks is just that's what you do right like the other 32 clubs don't do that and that's kind of what it's always felt like but i mean being able to make a leap for a guy like chauncey gardner johnson uh going ahead and drafting him in the fourth round 105 overall he's turned into and i think can be considered one of the steals of the saints draft uh because he has they've played him now throughout otas and rookie minis they played him at nickel corner they played him in the slot as a pass rusher they played him on both boundaries they played him at safety and they uh, as a deep ball single high safety have also and he has excelled in all of those places and has really impressed secondary coach aaron glenn and aaron glenn's one of the better secondary coaches in the league um and you know he helped really turn around that secondary and of course the addition of eli apple last year made a huge difference for the Saints secondary but Getting a guy like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who is somebody that looks like he's going to be able to make an impact his rookie season. He's somebody that is going to push for some playing time, especially in the nickel corner role over um, P.J. Williams, who had a good year last year, but also he, he himself had an offseason arrest for uh, for a DUI. And then uh, Patrick Robinson broke his ankle, which is not an easy, easy uh, injury to recover from no. uh, early in the season. I think it was the third week. It was against the Atlanta Falcons. And so, uh, you know, we, we don't know really how how effective P-Rob is going to be. We don't know what's going to happen with P.J. Williams yet at the beginning of the season. And so Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is somebody that's going to make a big push for some potential playing time throughout this season. And I think he's going to get it because he has so far shown himself to be a really, really valuable asset playing as a gunner as well on special teams in addition to all of the other positions that I've just mentioned. And that's just something that the Saints have done really well. They keep finding these guys that find ways to contribute all along the roster, which we kind of already alluded to. Uh, but it was a, a wonder, uh, just a really fantastic pick to land a guy who, in a lot of mock drafts, was mocked in the first or second round, early second round. To get him at the top of the fourth round is just an excellent gift for the Saints. They got three of their top 70 players on their big board within the first 177 picks, which is which is pretty good. Yeah, the Bears uh, also landed a uh, a guy in the fourth round from the SEC that was not supposed to be there, in uh, in, in Riley Ridley, uh, yeah. the wide receiver out of Georgia. He was supposed to be like a second round pick that was somehow at the back of the fourth round still there for the Bears to take, and he has been a lightning rod in OTA so far. So I'm interested to see just how he's going to develop in that receiving core uh, with the Bears uh, as well, and. You know, like you said, this, the the you got Gardner Johnson in the the top of the fourth round was probably going to be a late first, early second round pick, and there he is sitting there, day three, still waiting right. to hear his name called. Falls in your lap, and and you know, he could be another um, oh the receiver. I'm thinking, I I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Oh, uh, Michael Thomas. No, 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 no. Uh, no. Was drafted in 06, was a rookie when, when you oh, guys Marcus made the run. Oh, Marcus Colston. Colston, there it yeah, is. Yeah, that's the name right there. There were only like four <laughs> players drafted after him in the entire right. draft. Like He was that close to being Mr. Irrelevant, and he yep. ends up being a stud from start to finish in his entire oh, uh, what career. What an incredible right? career. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of seventh-round picks, uh, the linebacker out of Idaho, Caden Ellis. Yes, This is a guy man. that um, it's it's – Hopefully, maybe this is an analogy that he can live to live up to, but his resume kind of reminds me a little bit of a guy that we had. Maybe you've heard of him, Brian Urlacher. 
Or, <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys that ends up playing like a million different positions and then goes to the NFL, and it's the team that, that chooses him that ends up, you know, using him in the spot that will best utilize him. Like, Erlacher was a kick returner. He was a safety. He, you know, caught passes, all that kind of stuff, ends up becoming a Hall of Fame middle linebacker for the Bears. Now, obviously, yep. Kate Nellis is a seventh-round pick late in the draft, right. but his athleticism and the things that he did do in college – Granted, it was at, at Idaho, but it makes him one of the more interesting guys that you end up picking in the draft. Yeah, he was my guy going into the draft. I was pounding the table for Caden Ellis to the New Orleans Saints, and I was so stoked when they grabbed him late in the draft at 244. Uh, he's somebody that, I mean, look, we can talk about all the positions that he played. He was actually on on the Locked on Saints podcast on Monday's episode of this week, this past oh, week. Nice. Um, and he he's an incredible dude. Uh, played a ton of positions. He's played all four, he played all four linebacker roles at Idaho. Played as an edge rusher. Played he played three tech in one game. Even as a yeah, he was what he's what six three two twenty five. Played two twenty at a three tech. <laughs> yeah, he played. It was in the Washington State game, if I remember correctly. And oh, he played wow. three tech. He was like that was a very interesting game. And I'm like I yeah bet. sure. <laughs> he played some uh, he played some uh, some slot. He played uh, safety for a little while. He played. Um, oh, he was a tight end for a few sets. I think he had, uh, I can't remember how many catches, uh, 10 catches, 176 yards and two touchdowns. If I remember correctly, as a tight end at Idaho. And then he, in high school played triple option quarterback on top of all of that. Okay. So, so this, uh, this could be your defensive taste on Hill. That's exactly right. That's yeah. That's the big, big comparison for him. And I think he's going to be able to live up to that. Right now, the Saints are really focusing him down at uh, inside linebacker, playing sort of that Mike position, quarterback in the defense. He's got the smarts for it. He's got the IQ, the game IQ for it. Uh, as you can imagine, because of all the positions he's played, he better know something. Uh, and so right. uh, they've got him really operating there, and he's really learning that role and getting used to checks and everything like that, and having a lot of fun. And people are people are excited about him. Um, you know, he he was in coverage on Thursdays on Thursday's game. Gave up a big catch uh, and a big gain on a wheel route to Divine Azigbo, one of the undrafted free agent running backs out of Nebraska. Uh, but also later on in the in the practice, uh, got a sack as well. And so he's he's showing his potential as a pass rusher as well. And so he's he's a little bit more hot than he is cold. And that's what kind of I mean that's exactly what you want to do as a seventh round pick. You know, at, at 6'3", 225, he's essentially a, a gigantic. He's either a small linebacker or a giant uh, defensive back. Do you does he have the spark <laughs> to be one of those? hybrid guys like to be like a, like a Dayon Buchanan who could be a, a hybrid linebacker safety kind of thing yeah he definitely he's definitely possesses the athletic profile for that I think the Saints are going to try to keep that from happening and just try to sort of focus him down at one place for right now but you know one of the things that he mentioned that he likes so much about playing linebacker is that he gets to that it itself as a linebacker is a little bit of a hybrid role the way that he views it because you get to do a little bit of both you get to do the coverage job of a defensive back but then you also get to rush the passer like a down lineman and so he he sort of sees it that way and he's built his athletic profile throughout his career as such all right, so we look ahead to, to 2019, and, and we've already talked about shoring up the interior line on offense, shoring it up a bit on defense uh, as well. You know, what's, what's going to happen uh, with, the, with, with rankings, how soon can he come back, and, and so on and so forth. What are some of the other like, storylines that we should be keeping an eye on when thinking about the Saints in 2019? Uh, certainly Jared Cook. Uh, he's, he's 
definitely turning heads so far in training camp. Uh, well, OTAs, I should say. Um, and you know, to be able to see how he's going to mesh throughout the offseason and then throughout the season, really a big deal for the Saints to have another receiving body like that because that was such a big sort of deficiency for them in 2018 was not having a number two receiver. And so uh, that was that's huge for them and be able to watch how Jerry Cook is going to fold into the offense. Uh, the other thing that I'd look out for is uh, Marcus Williams, man. Uh, like Marcus Williams struggled a little bit this second season, kind of had a little bit of that sophomore slump. Ted had as many takeaways as he had his rookie season really eliminated the deep ball, but did a lot of those jobs that the casual viewer doesn't know is happening, right? Eliminating the deep ball, keeping passes, you know, not being targeted, things like that. You don't really see that. You can record that now, uh, thanks to Pro Football Focus and other analytic sites, but it's hard to really understand that as a casual viewer. And so you can see that and say, okay, yes, he did. He, he served his role as a single high safety, but didn't really stand out as a playmaker. So you want to see him get a little bit more of that playmaker role that he had when he was at Utah. So he's somebody that I'm watching. Uh, the evolution of Eli Apple stepping into his second season. And then the other thing that I'm watching, of course, and, and it feels like this is an every year thing, is Drew Brees. Drew Brees is going to be, by yeah. the end of this season, 41 years old. I mean, we saw Tom Brady just win a Super Bowl at 41. Uh, but, you know, he's got Bill Belichick. Drew Brees has Sean Payton. So, you know, you can have those those pretty high expectations of him. But you can sort of see a little bit of that arm not being very spring chicken-like toward the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, last season. And so you kind of you, you, you kind of wonder in 2019 if he's going to see that, if, you know, if you're going to see that same kind of regression uh, throughout the season. But with having an added weapon like Jared Cook, that can be a little bit more of a body over the middle, a little bit more of a safety valve. It'll hopefully help him not take as much of a beating, even if the offensive line gets hampered a little bit and also just keeps him from having to kind of gun so much, uh, which we saw a little bit more toward the end of the season when they were trying to fight their way out of leads and things like that or fight their way back into leads and things like that. Um, sure. So I, definitely Drew Brees is one that I would keep an eye out on. And then, of course, throughout the preseason, you're going to be watching Teddy Bridgewater, who's expected to become Drew Brees' successor after the season, if Drew Brees indeed does retire after 2019. Right. And and that was something that I, 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 I realized just just yesterday when I was looking at it, is that as after 2019 concludes, you don't have a quarterback on your roster. That's right. Drew, Drew Brees is at the end of his contract. Taysom Hill's at the end of his. Teddy Bridgewater's at the end of his. The 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 2019 season is very important in where the Saints are going to decide where they go for for 2020. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The idea with putting Teddy Bridgewater on a one year contract is that you know they're going to want to sign him to, to they're going to want to sign him to starter money if he becomes the guy in 2020. And so they put him on a one year contract for this year so that. If Drew Brees does retire, then the hope is that they'll be able to re-sign him and get him into that starter, you know, that mid-range starter role, that, that the Case Keenum-esque era area sure. of contracts, um, you know, 15 to 20, somewhere around there, maybe a little bit less. But, you know, to, to kind of re-sign him to that place. And then Taysom Hill talked just a couple of days ago about his his goal is to become Drew Brees' successor. As of right now, his big concern is winning the Super Bowl and doing whatever it is that he has to do with him alongside mm -hmm. Drew Brees. But his goal is to become the successor for Drew Brees. And, you know, Taysom Hill, only a couple of seasons in the league. But, of course, he took time off after BYU to go and do his uh, his mission. Um, sure, and sure. and so he's a little bit of an older quarterback as well. Not super old, but, you know, he's he's pushing 30. Um, and so he, he's sort of got a little bit of time. He, you've seen some you've seen him lose some time already. 
And so it makes sense for him that he would want to start to push to become that next guy in New Orleans as much as he can. So it would definitely be intriguing to see what happens with the quarterback situation uh, after 2019. And of course, if Drew Brees does stay, then the Saints end up getting a little bit of a, a little bit of a pickle because they already owe him 15 million dollars next season, whether he retires, stays, goes or not, regardless. Uh, and then they've also got all these other guys, Michael Thomas, Cameron Jordan are due for extensions. Yeah. Um, Marshawn Lattimore is going to be going into his fifth year option as is starting right tackle Ryan Ramchek. Eli Apple uh, didn't they didn't take his fifth year option with the intent of re-signing him to a longer term contract potentially after this season. So there's a lot of people that they'll need to re-sign uh, if they want to continue to stay competitive. And if Drew Brees comes back, then you really need to figure out how to balance the books and make that happen. Yeah, that's what's coming for the Bears uh, as well. Eddie Jackson's going to be up for a contract. Mitch Trubisky's mm-hmm. coming up. Leonard Floyd. Uh, you know, guys like that, and I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few people that are probably going to be wanting to ante up, uh, you know, for the Bears to step up to the table and, and, and pay them. And, um, you know, like I said, when you're a victim of your own success, these are the kind of problems that you have. That's right. But these are the fun problems to have. How are we going to figure out how to keep somebody as opposed to how are we going to put together a team that's worthy of the field uh, exactly kind of right. thing? So it's uh, these are the good problems. This is the good stress to have when you're a fan that's of an right. NFL uh, <laughs> franchise. So real quick before we let you go and we'll take a look at the schedule here, and the first thing that steps out to me is four. the first four games of the season <laughs> are against playoff teams. Yeah. You're at the Texans week one at home on Monday night. You're at the Rams, which is a game I'm sure you're looking forward to. Oh, yes. Um, and after listening to you and, and Brad on the crossover <laughs> episode today, I didn't think, did you talk about anything other than week two? Because I think that I don't think I remember hearing anything much about you guys making predictions on the score in May. That's how much this game means to you guys. (laughs) You're already calling the scores before we even got to training camp. Week two, bro, we're taking you down. We don't even have a roster yet. (laughs) Yeah. We don't even have a 53 man roster. And we're probably trying to still figure out who our 90 man roster is right now. Right. We don't have a 53 man, but we're kicking your ass 23 to 21. Week two, bro, you're going down. You know, kind of thing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Then you're at the Seahawks, always a tough game, and then yep. home on Sunday night against the Cowboys. So those first four games, there's no easing into 2019 for the Saints. Mm-hmm. You guys got to come out guns blazing because you're playing some of the best that 2018 has to offer. That's absolutely right. And with the team over the last five years, with the exception of last year, so it could be could be that the trend is changing a little bit, but they're not. The Saints have not been a very successful team in September. Uh, they lost something like 13 straight in September before they finally won a few games in September last season. So you kind of want to see them be able to come out and start off hot and then be able to. And then the tricky part is that if you start off hot, how do you maintain it throughout the rest of the season? Right. Especially I don't want to I don't want to uh, bury the lead here, but there are some more very entertaining games throughout this season. And there's a couple of other tough, tough stretches uh, throughout the season as well for the Saints. So they've got to be able to start off hot and then maintain throughout the 16 games. Yeah. So after the Cowboys in week four, you got the Bucks, you got the Jags, uh, then that team in Chicago. I don't remember what they're called, um, <laughs> but you're on the road for the Bears. I think that would be far more significant if the game was in December 20th as yeah. opposed to October uh, 20th. So the, you know, October, Chicago in October is absolutely beautiful. So the weather won't yes. be a factor unless it's raining or something like that uh, with the wonderful footing that we have in soldier field but <laughs> then you then you got the cardinals that week nine by right dead center in the middle of the season and then yeah, i think the nice. other the other tough stretch you might be talking about is like after the bye four straight division games including mm-hmm. that very fun thanksgiving stretch where you play three games in 11 days so that's it you start with the falcons uh week 10 after the bye you're at the bucks 
home for the Panthers, and then 48, you know, 72 hours later, you're playing the Falcons on Thanksgiving night. Yeah, and in Atlanta at that this time around. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so it's nice. I mean, I like the tradition. I like the new Thanksgiving tradition that Saints fans are getting to enjoy, some roasted turkey and roasted falcon on Thanksgiving. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. This one might be a little tough. I can see the Saints definitely splitting that series this season, having that holiday primetime game in in uh, in Atlanta is a little tough, but you know Drew Brees. Uh, Drew Brees has played seven primetime games throughout his throughout his career, over 55 touchdowns, over 5,000 yards in those, and still single digit interceptions in primetime games. So he's somebody that's always been able to light up the scoreboard in primetime. So you kind of hope that that magic continues to continues through his 19th season, which is kind of ridiculous, uh, or yeah. let me say incredible. Um, and so yeah, Both, yeah, that's stretch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so that stretch is a little that stretch is a little tough coming back and then. But the the good news is that by by week thirteen, it's there's potential that the Saints can have their division wrapped up if they sure. if they play really well throughout there and then they don't see another divisional a divisional game until uh, week seventeen, which could be completely meaningless if the playoffs you know if they've already got seating settled. So it's it's it could be good, could be bad, uh, but it's definitely a tough stretch, and they're going to want to be prepared for it. And so that's part of that, you know, extending the longevity. Sean Payton over the last few years has been really good off of bye weeks. Uh, ever since he really sat down and talked to Bill Purcells, he got some great advice about how to utilize the bye week and how to work off of that. And you know, the difference between letting your team relax and then get letting your team get rest—two different things there. Uh, and so he's done a really good job off the bye week. So in in a way that. That four-game stretch of divisional games is in a nice spot because it's off the bye week, but it's so late in the season that you just want to, you just, you just got to cross your fingers and hope that the longevity is there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, because of of the, the 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 NFC South, or at least last year anyway, it was not a good year for the NFC South in general. Um, not like in 2017 where three teams made the playoffs and right uh, and things like that. Last year it was the Saints and then everybody else as far as the division. Mm-hmm. Uh, was concerned the the Panthers such a schizophrenic team man absolutely you know, 15 and 1 in 2015 they they crapped the bed in 2016 they make the playoffs 2017 last year they you know they start 6 and 2 and then lose 7 games straight and everything they, I, I can't figure the Panthers out for the life of me uh the Falcons I don't just think Ron had a, Rivera can either yeah <laughs> and it might end up costing him his job if it doesn't happen again this year right. and then the the Falcons I think were just the victim to the Super Bowl loser curse uh, yeah, that and, and, and some really major injuries on the defensive side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Major, and major injuries. Yeah, they were pulling guys off the street by the end of the year yeah. in Atlanta. It was kind of messed up. And then, of course, the the Buccaneers are the Buccaneers, but they might actually be something because they got themselves a real coach now uh, mm-hmm. with, with Arians and such. So that things might be changed. I mean, and also the NFC South is one of the more schizophrenic divisions of the whole yeah. worst to first thing was like the first eight years or something that the, the division – existed mm-hmm. in 2002 and everything so it's it's always kind of crazy and quite frankly it's the nfc so anything can happen in the nfc that's true it's the afc that you can read like a book it, like here right. it comes it's <laughs> patriots steelers broncos it's going to be one of them and you know every now and then the chiefs would pop up maybe the colts will do something but you can pretty much guarantee it's going to be pittsburgh or new england and then everybody else uh trying to trail in behind them in the nfc it is a revolving door it's one yeah. team this year. It's another team the year after that. There's always somebody reemerging in the NFC, which is what uh, makes it so exciting and frustrating all at the same time yes. because <laughs> nobody can have that sustained success to always be in the conversation because the conversation changes every single year. 
Right. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I think the Super Bowl matchup odds came out not too long ago. And on the on the AFC side, there were only three teams that were named there. I think it was the Steelers, the Patriots and the Browns, of course, now yeah. trending upwards. And then over on the NFC side, I think it was five different teams in just the first top 10. Yeah. Of the NFC, mat- I'm sorry, of the Super Bowl matchup odds. So it, it, it's exactly there. I mean, it, the parity in the NFC is way, way more than that of the AFC. Yeah, I really wish the AFC could figure that out because it's super boring seeing the Patriots make the Super Bowl every season. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention annoying because I, I will go to my grave saying Tom Brady's not the greatest quarterback of all time. And I, every time the guy wins another ring, I lose the argument worse. So, what are you yeah, do? I think you and I think you and a lot of Saints fans would agree right there. Right, exactly. I definitely <laughs> think Breeze is a better quarterback than Brady, but you know he has Belichick and six rings to offset yep. what I think. So, but anyway, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it, I'm looking forward to this year. I'm looking forward to that matchup, Week Seven. Oddly, both the Rams game and the Bears game, number one, are on the road for you guys, so that sucks. Mm-hmm. And neither of those games is national television. Yeah, interesting, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, I mean when the Bears and the Rams play, that's Sunday night football. Uh, but when with the the Rams and the Saints week two, that I mean at best you're looking at that game of the week game on the Fox, week. Yeah. and I think it's the same thing for the Bears. I don't think that's a noon game for the Bears in Chicago. So mm-hmm. I think you know you're getting that that you know it's like almost like a soft national platform where <laughs> right, you're exactly. you're being you're being shown in most of the country, just not all of it. And it's right. odd that with where those three teams played and they just so happened to be playing each other again this year that those weren't national TV games. Those weren't Sunday yeah. nights or, or even Thursday night or Monday night football games. They ended up being the, the late game on, on you know week seven and week two uh, for the Saints. I thought that was kind of odd when I saw that on the uh, schedule. Yeah, same. And I, I, you know, I, I expected to see, you know, maybe some primetime games there, as you're alluding to. And then also, you know, Brad and I talked about it with that Saints and Rams game. Uh, why not week one? Yeah. Monday night. Especially. Football. Yeah. Especially understanding. I mean, and the Saints get the first Monday night football game of the year, but it's against the Texans. And yeah. not, not, no, no disrespect toward the Texans, but the storyline it really lends itself to it being Saints and Rams to open the season and even having, you know, Saints and Bears toward the, you know, a little bit more into that December, more iconic Soldier Field type play. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I'm not complaining that that's not the case, but, you know, (laughs) you you sort of sort of come to expect those kinds of things. But of course, you know, they they had it different this year. They they did all the uh, the automatic um, uh, algorithms and everything to create some hundreds you know however tens of thousands of different types of schedules yeah. and then selected one and everything and so um so you know just it's kind of a roll of the dice in a way yeah yeah i mean i don't envy anyone who has to try to put one of those schedules Not at together <laughs> like when i was a kid in middle school i created my own football league and me with no logistics to have to think of <laughs> trying to put together a schedule for a 32 team football league was impossible i would drive myself nuts because i would i kept repeating things it was just the bananas and somebody who has to take into effect that hey bruce springsteen is playing soldier field in october so the bears can't play there the night after that concert because the field's going to be garbage or you know shakira is going to ruin the field in mexico city so we can't have that game out there or or whatever that's going to be so i mean i don't i don't envy those guys not to mention having to take into account every other sport as well right. college like, football everything like that year on. that uh baltimore won the super bowl they had to start the year on the road because the orioles were playing the same night right uh, kind of thing so <laughs> what a mess but um anyway ross this has been great man thanks so much uh for for coming on 
Um, really look forward to having you on during the regular season and seeing where these two teams are after the first six weeks. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where we're at. And I believe you're our first game after the bye as well. I think we're week ah. six this year on the bye. So um, good news for you. We were terrible <laughs> off the bye last season. Um, that that first bye, the first game after the bye last year was that Miami game for the Bears, which was a disaster. Oh, right. mm-hmm. And then we had the, the quote-unquote mini bye after uh, Thanksgiving. We end up losing to the three and eight New York Giants uh, last season. So apparently, extended times time off <laughs> is not a good thing uh, for the Bears, or at least Matt Nagy hasn't figured that out just yet. So you have that working for you coming to Soldier Field. That uh, apparently we uh, we take it easy on the break and uh we have a trouble snapping back into it so <laughs> we have to look forward to have that to look uh forward to so uh we'll look forward to talking to you uh again in october as we get ready for that uh game but in the meantime tell my uh, audience where we can uh catch up with you uh on twitter or online or or, or find your show yeah absolutely man thank you very much and i definitely look forward to being back toward the rest of the uh the regular season we'll have you come on over at uh, locked on saints as well get awesome. some uh get some bears thoughts for the listeners there uh I, for me you can go ahead and follow me on twitter at ross jackson asc uh, you can also check out the website that i write for which is all saints which you can follow at all saints blog there's also the asc podcast as well that you can check out and of course you can hear me every monday through friday thanks to the locked on podcast network for my show locked on saints you can find on google play apple podcast spotify stitcher and of course the himalaya podcast app as well so you go ahead and check me out there and i love hearing from everybody every team i'm a, i'm not one of those guys that's going to come at you if you're a rival team i want to know more about the team you know what i'm saying so i'm yeah. always looking for more information to share with the listeners so i appreciate everybody and i'm on the same page with you that's why i do shows like this exactly because um, I'm, I'm, i've been doing this podcast since 2007 and Incredible. until up until the 2015 season these opponent preview shows were me sharing with my audience what I learned on my own about yeah. the teams. And I was like, well, wouldn't it be easier to have, you know, <laughs> the, the Saints version of me on the show as opposed to trying to, you know, tell somebody, you know, gives a, a Bears fan perspective on the Saints. How about we get a Saints fan perspective on the Saints? So here we are. And that's why I do this. And I can tell you, man, I've never had more fun doing the show than when I have people, you know, from the other teams uh, on just because, you know, passion is like a shared language. You know, we, we right. come from different places. We like different teams, but somehow we're speaking the same language and we get each other immediately because you love your guys like I love mine. And that's why we do this. That's absolutely it, man. Just a blessing to be a part of it, man. I appreciate you. All right. Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints and AllSaintsConsidered.com. Thanks so much for being on the show, man. We'll talk to you real soon. Absolutely, my brother. Thank you. Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast, allsaintsconsidered.com. That's his blog. You can find him there and follow him on uh, Twitter as well. Uh, Ross Jackson, I believe it's ASC, All Saints Considered, ASC uh, on Twitter. Uh, Great guy. Had a lot of fun talking to him. Uh, Again, I want to apologize to Tyler Raymond for my, uh, my technical glitch. I should have checked the settings after the Skype update to make sure that the software hadn't been blocked. And it really pissed me off when that happened because it's happened to me before. So uh, you can imagine how frustrated I was. I know you guys don't like it when I talk about technical glitches, but that one was just very funny to me that I let that happen. And yeah, anyway, so I want to apologize to Tyler. He didn't get a chance to be on. Hopefully we'll have him back 
uh, during the regular season. But Ross filled in uh, nicely. I thought we had a great uh, conversation. Good rapport between myself and my new friend. And this is a guy you want to be friends with. If he's coordinated live events that can get me next to uh, Han Solo and, uh, you know, George Lucas and, and all those guys, then uh, this is a guy you want to keep close. You know what I mean? He was at the – you know how many people are going to want to see that damn thing? And he was running the show today. How awesome is that? So, yeah, this is a guy we want to be friends with, <laughs> somebody who can hook us up to get into the to, to some really cool spots. So see what else Ross is up to, see if he can get us in somewhere cool. You know what I'm saying? So uh, anyway, look forward to having Ross back during the regular season uh, as well. And, uh, again, any off-the-subject off ideas, you guys want to hear that? I mean, if, if anything's good enough, maybe I'll turn it into an episode because, like I said, we have a couple of weeks between our last show which will most likely be Lauren Cox coming in to help us talk about the Bears. Uh, that's always number 14, the 14th and final, uh, quote-unquote, opponent preview. And uh, then there's usually about two weeks or so between that episode and the start of training camp, maybe to, uh, to fill the space I'll do something, like an off-the-subject episode, favorite summer movies, you know, something like that. So if you got anything interesting, throw some ideas out there. We'll see. Uh, we'll throw them at the wall, see what sticks. So, uh Keep those uh, ideas coming. Go to the Facebook page, Bears Talk Underground. There's a thread. Start throwing in some ideas there. Or you can hit me up on Twitter at BTU underscore Larry. So that's going to do it for part one of our Same Place Opponent preview episodes. Number two, part number two, will be on Monday when we have Brad Motter. It's Brad Motter. I was mispronouncing his name last year when I was calling him Brad Mater the Trader because he's a Chicago guy that roots for the Rams. Bastard. But, uh, but no, Brad's a great guy, and um, his name is Modder, not Mater. He will be on the show to help us uh, preview the L.A. Rams, another interesting matchup, and uh, he has something to say about the NFC Championship game and the no call and, and all that kind of stuff and tons more about the 2019 Rams. I mean, these are this is what a way for us to start, talking about these two teams that are most likely going to be our in our way when we try to get to Miami in uh, in 2020 for the Super Bowl uh, this year. Those are going to be the obstacles that are going to keep us from getting there. I've, I fully believe that. And we might have to beat them both uh, to get there. So these are the teams that we want to know the most about so we know what we're facing uh, when that time comes. So looking forward to the, the conversation with Brad and getting things underway. Then we move on to the AFC West. We got fully stocked guests ready to go there. And I just scheduled my last uh, team, which was the Redskins. That was the one holdout. Couldn't find anybody to come help me out. We finally got someone to come on the show to talk about the Redskins. So the AFC East is accounted for. And, of course, our friends in the AFC North, Jeremy Reisman, Chris Gates, Evan Western, will all be back for those AFC North opponent previews uh, towards the end of, end of June, beginning of July is when those shows uh, will be taking place. So here we are. We're in the thick of it now. And before you know it, the season is the, the summer is going to disappear right out from underneath us. And training camp will be here. We'll get to the preseason. The leaves will turn colors. The Bears will kick off Thursday night against the Packers September the 5th. The 100th season of the NFL. The 100th season of our beloved uh, in the NFL. And uh, before you know it, we'll be well underway. And this, this horrible wasteland of a dead period in the NFL schedule will be behind us. So... But it's going to be fun getting there because I love doing these opponent previews. And uh, look forward to, uh, to our next episode 
with the Rams. So come back on Monday for Brad Motter from Locked on Rams to talk about the L.A. Rams. And until then, my name is Larry D., and this has been Bears Talk Underground.